Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Ivna Curie, the Managing Director of The Assertive Way and the host of Speak Your Mind Unapologetically, joins me. We talk about how you can learn to speak up at work, how prioritizing your needs makes you a better leader, and quiet cutting, a new phenomenon about how companies are cutting people's jobs, transferring them to other roles, or even asking them to take pay cuts, but basically firing them without actually firing them. Now, it's September. We're back in the pocket. We got a big sprint coming to hit our 2023 goals. And we've seen it across all of business, layoffs, cost cutting, budget reductions, but they're still asking you to do more. I see how hard you're working, how much stress you have, and you're always being asked to do more with less, get more results, achieve more goals with less time, less people, and less budget. Do you think that's going to change in 2024? Can you continue working as hard as you are for the same results? If you want to make your life easier, get elite results and turn your team into happy high performers in just 12 weeks. Reach out to me, Rob, at EliteHighPerformance.com and learn how you can become an elite leader. We'll make your life easier. We'll make your results better. We'll make you elite. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a rating and review. We'd really appreciate that. And here's the interview with Ivna Curry. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. I'm flying semi-solo today. Susan's out, but obviously I have a special guest. And she is the host of Speak Your Mind Unapologetically and the manager director of The Assertive Way. Ivna Curry is with us. Ivna, how are you? I'm good. I'm good good, and so glad to be here and chatting with you and your listeners, Rob. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And for folks, I mean, we always start this show with a quote. And so I got one here from Martin Luther King Jr. And he says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. I love that quote. Yeah. What do you think of the quote? I love that quote. I actually use it quite often as well, because that is the truth. And we we go silent a lot about things that matter to us. And there's good reasons we go silent. I'm not pointing fingers. I myself am one of those people that spent most of my life silent about things and negating what I wanted, what I thought. I'm not negating it. I, I believed in myself. I knew who I was. I knew what I wanted. But I didn't have the courage to express those things in fear of all sorts of different reactions uh, from people. And and if we do that, and if we look back, you know, there's this great book, maybe you've heard about it, that talks about the top reasons why, the, the top things that people regret when they're 
dying, right? And one of the the top fears, I think this top fear is the fear of not living the life that you wanted to live, right? Not, in other words, when we don't speak up, when we don't express what we want and what we think, we're not living our life. And often we are allowing other people to make decisions for us on our behalf as a result of that. And then we'll end up with that with that regret, you know, when we're on our way out of this planet. So let's avoid that before it's too late. Totally. I, I absolutely agree with this. And um, and we're going to dig into this. But first, we got to let our listeners know a little bit about you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Yeah, so I'm a people pleaser. I am incredibly passive, introverted, awkward, an empath, highly sensitive, all of those things. And, you know, it takes time to figure out your natural tendencies. <laughs> it took me a couple of decades to get there and then to know what to do about it, right? So my identity was always the nice person. Everybody called me nice and I love being nice. That was a word that my teachers, my my parents, my bosses, my coworkers used to describe me, but there was a day that I got fed up with it and and that changed um, the way I, I perceived myself and how I wanted to be described by the world. But because this is all about leadership, I want to share this story, which is being a nice, studious, hardworking person worked very well until I got my first leadership role. <laughs> and things really started to fall apart then. And, and it was crazy because until then, I was the role model for everyone, you know, hardworking, studious, got things done. But then when I got this job, you know, and despite all of my, because I really wanted to manage a team so badly, I knew I was going to be a great leader. I couldn't imagine myself. And so the first thing I was reading all these articles about leadership, first thing I did when I uh, got this new role with the, my first team ever is I spent two hours with each team member, just wow. listening, asking them questions, telling them, asking them what was going wrong and empathizing and making promises, just like a politician. <laughs> and it didn't, they, they listened, they, they, they spoke and, and it was all fine, but it didn't take long before they went straight to my boss to complain of how bad of a leader, of a leader I was for them. One day I got to work and they didn't even let me get to my desk. They immediately put me into a room, all of them, and said, Evna, this is an intervention. We know you're trying your best. We know you're you're good, you know, you're a good person, but this is not working for us. You're all over the place, lack direction. We, we're we're overworked because you don't ever say no to anything. It's overwhelming. It's not working. It's not working. What are you trying to achieve? And that happened in all dimensions. It happened with, I had to deal with a lot of uh, suppliers. I was doing supply chain management. So uh, the people that were in charge of supply chain uh, for our customers, they didn't want to talk to me. First time they talked to me, they realized <laughs> I couldn't resolve their problems. They're like, I want to talk to your boss. I don't want to talk to you. And internally, you know, with my coworkers, when my, for example, when my boss shipped me over to one of these coworkers who who led uh, one of the factories in a d different city, different state, 
I got there to introduce myself. We had spoken emails, but he never, we never talked to each other. And I got there to shake his hand. It was like a multi-day uh, workshop to kind of help him out. I, I, I walked there, extended my hand to, to, to handshake, introduce myself. And as soon as I said, hey, I'm even a career. I'm here to, to help out. He said, why did they send you over here to help me out? Who are you to, to help? You're just a child. What do you know? And so this went on and on. And I realized that I had to change how I spoke up. And so I went through that process. And luckily, my, my boss, uh, his name was Mario, was the best leader I've ever had. And I can get to details around that later. Uh, but the, the reason why was that he showed me, he taught me how to speak up assertively. He didn't protect me. He didn't speak up on my behalf. He didn't resolve my conflicts. But he got he got me some courage. Like he helped me get out there, try it out. He helped me reflect about how to communicate. And he helped me actually have those uncomfortable conversations. And that changed everything. My team members later said that I was their role model for what leadership should be like. The guy who completely rejected me in the factory was seeking me out for advice. And the the the, the people that I was dealing with on a regular basis with their clients wanted to talk to me because they realized I could solve their problems. And my boss was putting a lot, reallocating people from other teams into my team because he saw that I was very productive and I was able to get a lot done with my team members. So all because I was able to find my voice as a leader and speak up and no longer be a nice leader. It's funny, right? And one thing I just want to say for folks out there is nice doesn't mean you don't speak up or you don't set boundaries or you don't sort of value yourself and your needs as well as your team, right? It's it's what a great story, though, because, you know, I've not, um, like for folks out there, I was on your podcast. Yes, you're it'll great. Be coming out in October. But one of the things I talk about as part of the bad boss archetypes is a messy boss, right? And they have this tendency of, you know, being unclear, being uncertain, you know, jumping around, sort of saying yes to everything. And I always say this, right, is you can learn how to be a great boss. And you're a perfect example of this. And I also, like, I have some messy tendencies as well, and I'm always learning and so for folks out there, it's like, it's not the end of the world if folks on your team are like, hey, this is how I would prefer you to lead. It's an opportunity. You can take it and then things change. They do. And I remember very clearly when you were describing that type of leadership, I thought that was me. <laughs> that was <laughs> definitely me. So I want to ask you this, like you mentioned you had a great leader who sort of allowed you or taught you how to be more assertive like what was that process like and how did you change the beliefs you had about having these uncomfortable conversations or often it's just sort of being a little bit more as you say the assertive way right and like how did that process look for you yeah i know you love mindset rob so 
I'll definitely share some of that. So it's and it's very important as well when it you know when it comes to speaking up and being assertive because the things that hold us back are primarily beliefs and false beliefs or uh, these fears that we have these very sometimes irrational fears that take over and it was no different for me even though I had this will like this desire extreme desire to be a good leader at the same time I had in you know all this fear and all this upbringing where I was rewarded for being more of a people pleaser you know type that was very agreeable and obedient and followed the directions and stayed quiet and listened more so I didn't know how to find that balance of hey how to use my voice at the same time listen and be kind and empathetic but not remove my voice from the equation right how do how do we bring those two together to optimize my leadership and, and so mario oh, was incredible to and, and and i've had 13 bosses in my life so he was by far the best and part of that is he was the chief commercial officer in the company i was very lucky to have such a senior person be my leader at, at, you know at, at such an early stage of, of my career and what he did was really interesting because every time i had a problem Right. He was very open. He gave me psychological safety for me to share my problems with him. Never punished me, never got impatient. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't really assertive about me having to take action. And he would say things, well, Evna, you can't leave it like that. You got to do something about it. Right. And he would remind me that it was more important to speak up and do something and have the conversations than to get it right. And every time I'd fail, he'd, he'd send me out to have the conversations. I'd have the conversations. I'd come back or he called me. He called me like an hour later or at the end of the day and asked me, how did it go? And I was like, well, not so well. <laughs> this person this person got upset. This person did, did, you know, ignored me or whatever. And he's like, well, what did you say? How did you say it? What did they say? All right. What, what could you do differently? How about, how, if, how about you try this instead? And that way I, every day was a battle. I mean, none of this was comfortable, but it was the most intense and rewarding year of my life. By the end of that year, I had grown in confidence in terms of confidence to use my voice, like 10 X. Because I was getting results and I was I was trying. Trial and error is important and experimentation while having that coach next to you. And through that process, I also realized that because Mario helped me do this, was take responsibility for the outcomes that were happening to me. It wasn't someone's fault. It wasn't my fault. But I had to speak up. If I wanted to change things, I had to take responsibility and ownership. And that mindset, I'm responsible for my outcomes. I'm responsible for my happiness. I'm responsible for getting myself heard. That was a huge change and shift in my mind from what I typically had was, was more of a victim mindset, right? These are bad people. 
they're aggressive, they're mean. And so for me, it really helped me get out of that thinking and into more of a, first of all, I deserve to be heard. I have something important to say. Uh, and because he would always ask me for my opinion all the time. Um, and even if it, there's no stupid comment, he'd always value what I had to say. Um, but also, I have to take ownership of making myself heard and understood. So many great lessons in this. Uh, I mean, for folks, if you're leading someone who has a tendency to be quiet, right? There's a lot of lessons you can take from Mario. And then even as you're, if you're going through it, like Ivna, you had some lessons in there that are, are amazing as well. And we totally love the practice. Like we teach conflict management programs to folks and we, we, we simulate some hard conversations, but everyone always has a lot of fun with it. And the, the thing is, is, they're not actually hard. Like, I'm not inventing things that are coming from the sky. Like, these are all real situations that I've had in my career or I've known someone who's had, right? And so it's like, these are things that we as leaders need to be equipped to handle. And I think, like, Literally, was it yesterday or two days ago, there was an article that came out about this new thing that companies are doing called quiet cutting. And so I, I'm just like, I keep seeing more of this reticence for folks to have conversations with each other that may be hard. And so it's like we've, we've gone from uh, companies posting jobs that don't exist to recruiting candidates and ghosting them kind of either during the recruitment process. I've even seen some that they sent the letter out, said start Monday, person shows up and there was no job. Same thing with the candidates. Sometimes the candidates are ghosting the companies. Now we're, you know, quiet quitting and then now we're at quiet. Well, there was quiet firing for a bit and now there's quiet cutting, which is essentially like your job doesn't exist. So we've either moved you into a job we want you to quit or we've sort of lowered your pay. And so it, it's basically like you're firing the person, but you're not actually, you're, you're sort of more like not wanting to pay severance. And I'm not sure why the uptick is. I feel like it's something to do with phones. Do you have any like opinions on this? Like it just seems like there's a lot of, passive aggressive we're not actually going to have a conversation that might be uncomfortable so we're going to do it kind of backdoor people yeah and and i'll even share a little story as well uh, when back in the day i had to compile all this information from senior leaders and get updates to present the revenue update every week every month every quarter every year to the C-suite members. And I was still pretty junior uh, and compared to the people that I had to get information from. And it was very scary. I mean, for, like I said, I'm passive um, to knock on someone's door, who someone who's like three, four, five levels above me and, and, and hold them accountable for giving me information and data uh, and try to get their attention when they were pretty dismissive was not something that I liked, enjoyed to do. So my boss would ask me, hey, are you, have you, you know, why didn't you finish this, this 
report this update this data or, or whatever I was doing. And I said, well, you know, this person didn't send me the data. He said, well, did you contact them? I said, yeah, I sent, uh, I sent him an email. He's like, well, how many emails did you send? I said, I sent three, five emails because I knew he was going to ask me uh, how many emails I sent. So I made sure that I sent plenty of emails. He said, well, if he didn't answer the emails, did you try to call him? So the first time he said that, I didn't realize. And then I started to try to call them because I knew he was going to hold me accountable for trying to call. He said, well, I tried to call him. He didn't pick up. Did you try again? No. Okay, well, why don't you go see him? Did you go find him in the office? I said, uh, uh, no. Go find him right now. Go talk to the man. And so there I'd go, you know, scared. And the person would be in a meeting. And I would peek my head and be so scared, like almost didn't want to be seen. But I knew that my boss would be super disappointed if I didn't get the information since the person was in the office. And so I was always avoiding the direct conversation. I wanted asynchronous conversation. I wanted text. I wanted email that was safe. And we're in virtual land now, virtual meetings, virtual reality. Uh, it's not virtual reality, but we're we're having a lot more, uh, a lot more virtual work happening. And people's natural tendency is to hide. And so I think that's part of the problem. And if People are not intentionally communicating and, and looking to communicate in the most effective way possible and picking up the phone, getting on the Zoom call. Then I think a lot of the miscommunication uh, or lack of communication tends to happen. I don't know what you think, Rob. Yeah, I, I think I totally agree. Like, I always had this weird, well, I don't know if it's weird, <laughs> but... I I used to all when I was in an office I would always send an email with like assuming I had an attachment um but but otherwise I would just go if I didn't have an attachment or I didn't need I would just go talk to a person but like if I had an attachment I would send the email and then I'd walk over to their desk and talk to them and it was so funny the last time I was working in an office there was a guy he we were on the same team and he sat literally was like the cubicle was six feet away from mine and i remember him he would he would do this he would like teams chat me like hey rob and he would just turn around and stand up and be like hi greg what do you need and i would i, I never understood because i was like you're like we're sitting basically next to each other and i never understood it and i mean he he was a totally social guy too it wasn't like this thing but yeah I think now that you're not necessarily like you, like I work fully remote, right? I think it's easier to sort of, I mean, one is the, though you can be meaner actually on Slack or whatever than you are in face to face. But I think also the other side of it is, especially in these big companies, if you're not like, let's say you hired somebody over, you know, over the pandemic, you never met them face to face. You've, most companies don't even use like video chat. And so like, it's easy to sort of dehumanize the person in their mind. Like you don't even know, you just know a name on a screen. And then it's like, yeah, well, it's easy to just, you know, ghost them or be passive aggressive where, 
And I think also the culture has kind of evolved that way. Like kids are doing this in dating a lot. I mean, kids, I don't know. They're, they're probably college students now, but like Gen Z's did that. And now they're in the workforce. And so it's sort of like a behavior that we've cultivated with this online presence. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. And, and with uh, the way technology is evolving as well um, with a lot of text and things like that. And uh, yeah, it's, you're right. It, it happens a lot and hopefully Hopefully things will revert back to humanizing interactions. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I think there's a few things to this, right? Is like one is, first off, if you want to get promoted in a company, like you can't be, like the strategy of being nice, people pleasing and not, you know, keeping your head down does not get you promoted. No way. Actually, the inverse is true. The research says, like, if you're narcissistic and you're, like, the big ego-driven oriented person, you actually rise faster and further than other folks. So I know we talk about human-centric leadership and the data shows all these things, but you need to be assertive and speak up and kind of, like, prove your value and be very upfront about that if you want to rise up the ranks, right? So we'll just start there with people is as much as, you know, it's like being empathetic and nice and being a human centric leadership doesn't mean you have to be an asshole or like, sorry, that is, you can be good and nice and empathetic. You don't have to be an asshole, but also you need to assertively show your own value and talk about the work you do so then you can also get the perks of doing that. Yeah, and it, and it's uh it's possible to do that very authentically as well. Right? And and it's it, the the secret is really finding that voice, understanding how to break it down and not a lot of people confuse being nice, empathetic, human-centric with being weak, with hesitation. And it's important to understand what hesitation is and what warmth human centric behavior is and distinguish those two. You can add, you can be very assertive, very direct, very definitive and be warm and human centric, but you gotta be careful not to, you know, do the thing, do the apologies, you know, lower the voice, erase yourself from the conversation. That's not helpful for you or for others. Now, Ivna, I got a question for you. I get this one a fair amount, and I just want to get your perspective on it, is folks say to me stuff like, how do I speak up and show my, like speak up and talk about the value I'm delivering and the work that I'm doing without being, you know, this kind of egocentric narcissist who like bragging all the time? Like, how do they strike that good balance? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and there are many ways of doing it without saying, here I am, I am the best. <laughs> Look at me, I'm so good. I am a champion. Look at this work I did. This is the best work that you've ever seen, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so good. I can't it's believe how good I am. the greatest Excel spreadsheet in the world. <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so that, you know, can 
come across in the wrong way. But enthusiasm and passion generally are perceived positively. So when you showcase something that you're working on, you say, oh, I'm working on this thing. I'm working, you know, I help people be more assertive. And I'm so passionate about this. This is something that can really change the outcome and how people interact. And I really believe so deeply in this. This is why I do this. Like talking about things with passion, talking about why you do it. That, that is something that, that is showcasing, you know, your, your expertise or your value without coming across in the wrong way. Another way of doing that is to really highlight specifics, facts, talk about what you achieve, like almost like in a, think about CV or or, or, or curriculum vitae or, or, or when you're like trying to prove yourself in an interview and you have these bullet points with very factual things like I achieved, I improved revenue by 33% in the last quarter with this and this and this actions. You're not judging yourself. You're just being factual. You're not saying I'm the best salesperson in the world. You're saying I got a 33% improvement in sales and these were the ways I did it. We, we, you know, we put a lot of effort into this. Effort is another way of saying it, right? We put a, a lot of work into this. We, we, we spent, you know, the team and I, we, we worked, uh, for six months and we implemented all these great projects. And, and I feel so proud talking about how, how proud you are of something you accomplished is also a great way. I'm so excited about this. I, I achieved this and now people want to be part of it because you're excited and you're proud and it's all good and positive emotion, right? And and going back to the facts, when you state facts, which is something that I used to do all the time, the way I got from my performance evaluations from like meets expectation to far exceeds expectation all the time was by doing bullet points. Every week I'd send them my little bullet points, me and my team, here's what we achieved. And it wasn't brag, you know, bragging about it. It was just giving specific facts of what I achieved and my boss could then judge me on it. But guess what? I gave them the bullet points for them to showcase to their boss. So I'm helping them promote themselves through my bullet points because my work is their work. And I have no problem with them taking some credit for it because they're my boss as long as they support me. So that's another way of doing it. So there's many ways you can also ask people. What are they proud of? What they have, have they accomplished? What have they, they been working on? And what's the natural tendency for people to answer and then say, what about you? And now you can brag because they asked you about it. So there's many ways of doing it without coming across in the wrong. Another technique is just saying, Hey, we've been doing all of this. Me and my team have been working extensively. So now you're elevating your team. At the same time, so it's not all about you. You think we have been doing this. So there's plenty of ways to brag in a fun way that gets everybody excited. (laughs) The fun way. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Now, I just want to, yeah, I want to get, well, obviously we're wrapping up a bit. So if there's anything you could tell our community of leaders, what would that be? Don't expect people 
to speak up. People are not just, because it's a choice, right? And, and let me give you the statistics around here. There's a study that was done by MIT at Microsoft. And they found that two-thirds of employees never or rarely spoke up at work. It's not about being a responsibility. P speaking up is a choice. And so we need to enable that choice. We need to give people reasons to speak up. And sure, there's a lot of talk about psychological safety, but I really like Mario, Mario's approach, that boss that I had, right? He role modeled the way. He showed what it was to speak up. He was my role model. He was always talking about his shortcomings, his mistakes, and, and talking about it in a growth mindset kind of way. He was, uh, he was sharing about his life, bringing his whole self to work. Um, he was holding me accountable. He was very clearly setting expectations. He was giving me direction and he was supporting me at the same time. So, so he was role modeling what, what I should be doing. At the same time, he was asking me questions. He was encouraging. He was coaching me to speak up and he was asking more for, for my opinion, for my advice, for my feedback, for my constructive criticism of him as well and of others in the organization. So he was constantly encouraging me to speak up. And after I spoke, he listened, he acknowledged, he validated, and he also celebrated speaking up by sharing stories of those who did speak up. He would broadcast those stories, how amazing it was, the wonderful results it produced. So now you're building a culture of speaking up as well. And so when you know leaders do all those three things together, it really helps make sure that everyone feels not only comfortable speaking up, but they're motivated to speak up at the same time. But it all starts with us. You know, we have oh, to totally. be able to speak up. Yeah, and, and it's great. And, and like he is fostering psych safety and like that's the practical ways of doing it, right? And the thing I always remember about Amy Edmondson is when she talks about psych safety, she says, speaking up, for the individual carries risk and it's uncertain and the benefits really are only for the organization where if they stay silent, the benefit of staying silent is immediate and it's risk, basically risk-free. That's right? true. And so like when she talks about it, she's like, you have to, and this is what Mario did for you, right? Is you have to shift the risk away from, not speaking up and then make it like one is make it safe to speak up, but also reward for speaking up. So then it's like, instead of staying silent, being the like optimal choice, speaking up becomes the optimal choice. So it is a, yes. it is a great way to lead folks down. I mean, obviously down the way, the path of, of improvement. <laughs> So he did do the psychological safe, he did do all the psychologically safe things for me to feel safe speaking up with him, but he went beyond that. He threw me out in unsafe situations to deal with people who are aggressive, who are not very great leaders, who are one of those bad archetypes that you talk about, <laughs> which we know are the majority of people. And he, he threw me off in that direction, said, why don't you go try to speak up there? 
but he gave me a place where I could come back and reflect on that experience and try again and be okay to fail and be okay to make mistakes and hear and be coached by him through the process, even though at the end with the customer, you know, with the coworker, with the, the other superiors, I was, you know, for example, he, he sent me off to the CFO, said the CFO wants to talk to, he wanted me to hire his nephew three times. And I said, no, 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 three times. Uh, and I didn't get fired. Um, so those are some of the things. But he he said, I'm not going to tell the CFO what your decision is. I'm okay with any decision you make. But you're going to take responsibility for it. And you can make any decision you want. But you're going to have to talk to him. And so those things, you know, that, that there's a lot of encouragement to use my voice, even though there was still full accountability for it. Amazing. Ivna, last question for you. We always love this question, which is, what do you want your legacy to be with all this work that you're doing? We talk, We started off, you started off with a wonderful quote about silence and, and how it really limits and annulates us and, and who we are. And that's the beginning of the end. <laughs> And I, and I believe, I believe that, you know, silence is, is counterproductive. It doesn't help achieve results. It doesn't have productivity. It doesn't help ourselves be happy. Ultimately, it does seem safer and, and low risk in the moment, but cumulatively it kills us and it kills us who we are and what we can bring to the table and the quality of our leadership. So I want my legacy to be, you know, to eradicate the silence and transform silence into a lot of meaningful and respectful dialogue, dialogues everywhere, uh, no matter the levels or the seniority of the people who you know you're talking to. So when I can see that, when a lot of dialogues, respectful dialogues are happening instead of silence and people choosing to talk and speak respectfully instead of silence, that's I'll be there. I'll be incredibly happy. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. For folks out there, so Ivna's podcast, Speak Your Mind Unapologetically. You can find it anywhere you're listening to this show. So Apple, Spotify, all those ones. You can check out The Assertive Way at assertiveway.com. I've dropped also her LinkedIn in the podcast notes. Is there anywhere else you want folks to find you? Yeah, so at assertiveway.com slash free, I do have a 10-day challenge that helps you script an assertive and likable conversation. So it shows you in 10 steps how to construct a conversation that is likable, that you're going to be seen as a positive person, as a, as a nice, kind, empathetic person, while at the same time be strong, have a strong voice, and be assertive and very direct. So they can check that out at assertiveway.com slash free. I love that. I'll drop that in the notes too. That's an amazing resource. And obviously hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a rating and review while you're out there. And then for all things leadership development, mindset coaching, conflict management, emotional intelligence, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all of that stuff. 
Ivna, any last words you want to leave our folks with today? No, I think that's it. Embrace, embrace your assertive voice. Figure out what that is because most people don't quite understand what assertiveness is. And, and go forward with courage, not confidence. Confidence comes second when it comes to assertiveness. First, cultivate your courage to speak up and then the confidence will follow. I love it. And for folks out there, for me, this is all the deeper work, right? It's putting the deeper work into practice. And if we talk about self, it has qualities of courage, compassion, confidence, clarity, creativity, and it all starts with self. And so as we start to cultivate our self-awareness and our relationship with our parts, not only can we enjoy the sounds of silence in our own minds, we can also start speaking up at work and being a better leader. So start with self and we'll all get rolling. Ivna, thank you so much for joining us this week. Everyone, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next week.